Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. To be a CEO or COO of an organisation, you need to know a lot about a wide range of things. And you need the experience and the confidence to lead others who are experts in those areas. Today's guest has built that knowledge from her career both in the corporate world and at a range of not-for-profits. After 10 years with World Vision, a huge organisation, Jill Roach has taken a sabbatical to be Chief Operating Officer at the much smaller Brave Foundation. Why the change? And how does that fit with her career goals? I trust you'll be inspired about Jill's purpose and dedication to the not-for-profit sector from this chat. I know I was. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. It's awesome to have you on Tea with the Queen. Thanks, Emma. I'm really happy to be here. Um, For our listeners who may not know, what is the Brave Foundation and what do you do? Brave Foundation's a small not-for-profit organisation and it's focused on supporting parenting and expecting teens, which, as you know, I was one myself. So we have a mentoring program and we have young parents referred to us from hospitals, from health services, from a variety of organisations in the community. And what they're coming to us for is to have someone to walk alongside them on their expecting and parenting journey. And we mentor them. We work with them to set their own goals, which could be really short term and immediate, like I just need to get my child to a healthcare appointment or I need to be eating healthily while I'm pregnant, through to... I want to do this in a career, I want to learn more, I want to do more in education, Um, I want to break the cycle of intergenerational poverty and our mentors work with them to capture those aspirations and then walk alongside them and connect them into other services to help them achieve those. I love that. And what I what I loved is when I saw your appointment to the Brave Foundation, because, of course, we, we go a little bit way back and our audience will hear that soon. But I loved that you had landed in a place that aligns so well. I was like, yes, that's perfect for Jill. And you're the chief operating officer, which is a big responsibility that would fall on your shoulders. How do you handle that day to day? It's interesting. I think... Um Sometimes throughout the journey, I've thought to myself, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Uh, Because when you're in leadership roles and executive roles, you naturally think about what's going to come next from the job you're in today. And so for me, the next steps were always, in my mind, going to be COO or CEO of an organisation. And so the opportunity to work with Brave as a COO was one I couldn't look past. And because of the personal alignment and my experience, it felt like coming full circle. But I don't think I gave enough thought to what would it would actually entail to hold responsibility essentially for an entire organisation and do that while you're working with a CEO who's in place as well. 
there's a lot of accountability, but there's also a lot of partnership and relationship that goes into managing things well across an entire organisation. So it was an aspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think the opportunity to do it in an organisation the size of Brave has been a real blessing for me. It's not a role I could have taken on if I was looking at an organisation of the size that I'd previously worked in. It was a big transition, even though it was a small organisation. Well, I think it doesn't necessarily matter what the revenue size is. The job is still massive, right? Yeah, it is. It's huge. You have to be someone that I think is curious. So you want to know about a lot of different things. You don't necessarily need to be the expert in them, but you've got to know a lot about a lot. And you have to be self-aware enough to know the things that aren't your strengths or that you don't have a background in and make sure you've got the right people in those spaces to support you. I wear a a finance hat, a HR hat, a communications hat, an IT hat. I manage um, our contract with the government. I manage our frontline staff and the programming that we deliver. So it's the full gamut of the organisation. And then there's risk and compliance and all the governance aspects as well that I have to be across. All the reasons that I don't work in corporate anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, who do you lean on? Who's your support? Is it lonely? It can be lonely. I think having a wide circle of people outside the organisation is probably the key for me. I need people that are likely to challenge me in a way that staff won't. So they really stretch me and push me into thinking about an issue with with the organisation in a way I wouldn't. I'm part of a women's leadership group and they are women that aren't working in not-for-profit and they are very helpful um, to tap into. And they're great at pushing me when I start to fall into the... um, the pool of imposter yes. <laughs> and that I can't that I can't do all the things that I'm now accountable for and so they really encourage and, and lift me in that and then I lean into the staff who have who are delivering who have the daily experience that have the history and the corporate memory that have the relationships and I really push them to be transparent and feedback to me what's what are we doing well what are we not doing what don't I know about and what do I need to learn more about and um our organisation is entirely women. So there is a strong female energy there, which is supportive and encouraging, but also uh, constructively critical. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, And you're currently on sabbatical from World Vision uh, and you're with World Vision for a decade. And of course, that's where we met. For our listeners, that's where Jill and I cut our teeth on the not-for-profit stuff and in HR and operationally. And I was there for 12 years. It was one of the best 12 years that I have had. It kind of just felt like coming home, right? I'm sure that you feel that as well. But before that, you were at Australian Red Cross Blood Service and you're also the chair of YGAP. What is it about not-for-profits that attracts you? Um, I think it's about channeling energy into personal values, but in a professional setting. So before working in the not-for-profit environment, I was a management consultant. I was in the banking sector. I worked for a global IT company headquartered out of Dallas. You couldn't have got um, any further (laughs) from the organisations that I work in today. What those corporate environments and the consulting environment did for me was understand the value of Um, frameworks, knowledge management, knowledge sharing, uh, learning mindset, 
working in a global setting with matrix teams, complexity in problems and being able to move from issue to issue or organisation to organisation, particularly in the consulting world, and be able to turn your skills to that context that you're in. So it teaches good adaptability and flexibility. Resilience would be another one. But I wanted to take those experiences and really channel them into issues that I was personally um, moved by or frustrated by or wanted to make a difference. And I wanted to be in the system of making a difference rather than on the outside financially supporting it, although I do both. I get up every day motivated by what the outcome and the impact is going to be with the work that I do. And I can't say I did that necessarily when I worked in banking or management consulting. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, it's so important. And we talk to, in, on this podcast, we talk to a lot of women who are just in their sweet spot. They're super passionate about what they're doing. And they've kind of got to this conclusion where we spend so many hours at work. Why aren't we doing the things that we love? And I love that you're able to bring the alignment of your personal self to your professional living. And it's it's really nice to see that kind of alignment. I'm curious about what's next, but that is for another day maybe. Um, <laughs> tell me, is it harder or easier these days for not-for-profits to establish themselves in the community's mind? I think a sense of giving to community is more overtly prevalent across the nation than perhaps it's been before. You see people generously responding to uh, humanitarian issues, for example. You know, the bushfires over summer was a good example of, of response there. So taking care of others and giving back and, you know, lifting up your neighbour is something that's ingrained in the Australian psyche. And we see that at in all age groups, you know, all demographics everywhere. So I think that's an easy thing to point to. In terms of the not-for-profits that then are the ones that need to translate that into executable on-the-ground change, it is harder, I think, in today's environment because of the opportunity for direct giving into community. Why would you go through a third party, for example, if you don't understand the machinations of um, not-for-profit work? I think the prevalence, everyone having a passion and wanting to translate that into a new organisation that you can give to without necessarily having the background or the strengths or the quality that should come with that work. So I think it's both. It's easy to get attention around an issue. It's harder to gain traction and hold people sustainably to that cause and that work that you're doing. And you've got to be really clear on what the impact is that you're having and why there is value in you directing your dollar to the work that I'm doing and not to the person next door or the organisation next door. Uh, everyone's conscious, particularly in a COVID environment, of you know where their dollar goes and whether or not they're going to have a dollar next week. And so, it's you know I think beholden on not for profits to be really clear on what the value is that they're delivering. Yeah. Um, speaking of COVID, have you um, has it affected the support that you're providing? It's changed the support that we're providing. So brave is up the eastern seaboard and we're also in the Northern Territory and our remote workforce are already used to connecting with each other in an online setting. All of our meetings are Zoom 
you know, pre-COVID. That's how we connect with each other. But what we had to do was transfer our mentoring program and our support for teens into an online setting. And we made some early calls. We moved quickly to that environment so that we could adjust with our participants. We call them program participants. We emphasised use of digital and visual channels for connection as opposed to phone call. But we also recognised that it was an unfamiliar environment for the people we were supporting and so we were flexible around how they'd want to engage. What we saw was a 240% increase in the number of connections that we had with our participants in April versus January. And this is a group of people that are already vulnerable and isolated in a lot of ways. We had one example where a participant told us her conversation and um, engagement with a mentor was the first time she'd spoken to anyone in a week. Now, keep in mind, these are young people, so they're already dealing with all the issues that every teenager has to go through. On top of that, they're also dealing with either being pregnant or parenting a child. Then you add the layer of, and you have to do that in your house, um, and you can't connect out physically into community. And then you might have other issues attached to that. You know, we have across our cohort of participants uh, a strong representation of people with mental health issues, with disabilities, and um, people experiencing family or domestic violence. Add all of that together... And these young people are still wanting to focus on their goals and their pathway towards success. So they kept connecting in with us and we just made sure we were there to respond um, and to keep them feeling like the connections that they have into the community are valued and wanted. So I've been incredibly proud of how our teams have responded and maintained a focus on continued connection and support. I love that because I think in COVID especially, we can forget who the client is or who we are trying to serve because everyone's so concerned about themselves. And it sounds like your group have been totally attention out and just focused on the client, which impacts them for years to come, really. Um, As we close out, I'd love to... You've been very successful in your career to date what do you think has got you there? What are, If someone was thinking about moving up in their career, moving into a COO role or a CEO role, what are a couple of things that they should be thinking about? I think this is where the full circle analogy becomes really important. Um, I am incredibly tenacious. And that, I think, is one of the attributes that has allowed me to move in all sorts of directions professionally and experience lots of different opportunities in a way that perhaps I might not have done if I'd followed a traditional path and had gone to university and then moved into journalism was the thing I was most interested in and, you know, worked my way up through a newspaper, for example. I didn't get to do that because I had twins as a single parent uh, at the age of 20 and was pregnant at 19. That meant that my first work experience was whatever I could get and it was something that taught me a range of skills that I could then apply in in different areas. I constantly pushed myself to be um, unafraid of moving into the unknown and to embrace ambiguity and scariness. So tenacity is a really strong attribute that I value in myself and curiosity is the other one. I'm okay not knowing stuff I'm not okay with not trying and not wanting to explore and having a play around with stuff. 
And I think my early life has directly influenced how I approach those sorts of things. And I'm just a really strong believer in have a crack. (laughs) You can't go wrong with that. Every time I try something new and people say, are you crazy taking a sabbatical from World Vision after, you know, nearly 10 years in the organisation, sitting on the executive team of the world's, you know, largest INGO, and then stepping away from that to go to a really small organisation, a lot of people thought I was nuts. But the development opportunities I saw in it were amazing. And so I had a crack and that's what I'll do next. Yeah, I love that. I also can hear in your voice and because I know you as a person, I've been doing a lot of research at the moment around vulnerability and leadership Mm. and um, how being vulnerable as a leader allows safety for the rest of the organisation. And I just want to thank you for being vulnerable with us. It's really awesome just to hear that you haven't been a victim, that you've just jumped in, you've gone for it, you've given stuff a crack, and that's really all anyone can ask. Um, And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Emma. I really liked it. That's Jill Roach. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us with promoting the podcast for others to listen to inspirational topics on leadership and business. If you want to contact me directly, all the details are at my website, mmmcqueen.com.au. It's also where you can find my new book, Go Getter, in which I share practical tips to take control of your life. Speak to you soon.